Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Elizabeth Cosmos. Beth has practiced integrative medicine for more than 25 years. She was responsible for the founding and development of a comprehensive hospital-based integrated medicine program for alternative therapies at St. Mary's Hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Beth got a BS from Michigan State University. She received her PhD and THD from Holos University Graduate Seminary, and she's an ordained minister. She studied with the Cuero shamans of Peru and spent time with the Guarani indigenous peoples of the Brazilian rainforest, whose traditional wisdom is actually behind the sacred energy healing method called Amadeus. Beth founded the International Association of Amadeus and teaches Amadeus around the world. Her work has been featured in such international publications as National Geographic, her book is called Amadeus, Healing with the Sacred Energy of the Universe. Welcome, Beth. I'm so delighted to connect with you. Oh, Miriam, thank you. What a beautiful introduction. And, and I have to say that you pronounce the words better than I do. <laughs> say the Guarani. You've got that down perfectly. <laughs> I was actually born in South America myself. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's what's ringing through. Uh-huh. It's the DNA resonating. <laughs> so, so, Beth, tell us, what is Amadeus? Uh, Amadeus is a title given to a healing method. Um, and it means, it's Latin, Ama is to love, Deus is God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I studied with a Brazilian healer who gave this method, this name, and he used to lecture that um, he that Latin is the basis of all Romance languages, but I believe deep down that he gave it a Latin name so that it was not um, affiliated with any one culture. Since this is about the love of God, Ama to love and Deus God, and a healing method, then. This is for all people. Alberto used to say, my teacher, Alberto Aguas, used to say, no one has a copyright on God's love. And so this healing method is something that he came about um, later in his life. He himself was a natural-born healer, had uh, went all over the world doing healing work and lectures on healing. But the last 10 years of his life, he had an opportunity to work with a tribe of Indians, the Guarani. And these people knew he was coming. And they shared with him the sacred ways to heal with love. And asked him to come out and share this with the world. And so Amadeus is a healing method in a a short <laughs> well, your your book was so fascinating because it it intertwines the stories of this amazing healer Alberto Aguas with the development of the healing modality Amadeus with your personal story with your taking this healing modality 
into um, mainstream medicine. It's just has so many. Oh, and you have this fascinating kind of fictional um, visionary story of the Guarani people to, to kind of give it additional um, uh, uh, rooting in their tradition. Just um, so well done, Beth. Bravo. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. No, you know, it was interesting, Miriam, because initially what I was doing here was um, in pursuing writing this book, I wanted to pay homage to Alberto and to the Guarani Mm -hmm. um, from where this came from. And when I'm teaching classes, people really want more information about this. And so I thought, okay, now's the time to, to, to pay back and respect and homage. And as I wrote, people were saying, who were critiquing it, saying, you need to put more personal stories in there. And I was reluctant at first, but then I started to do that. that. And I think it helped. Um, And this interesting, this fiction piece that sort of threads through um, is another way, Miriam, that I see of also incorporating what is oral tradition this fiction piece in here is a story. And how do the people teach? They teach in oral tradition. So it's a story within a story, so to say. And I hope that maybe a story will stay or linger with a person after mm-hmm. reading. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the, the sacred oral traditions, how the Guarani were moved to share their tradition with Alberto, who, who is a fascinating per- individual, and we will talk about him. But I remember um, sometime last year, I interviewed Hank Wesselman, mm. who received an oral tradition from the kahuna, the last traditional kahuna of, of um, Hawaii. Hawaii, and, yes. And it's like the time is ripe for these ancient traditional wisdoms to come out and and to help us move on to our next stage. Absolutely. So exciting. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. uh, Gosh, Alberto, Alberto is what was terribly important in your life. Um, Tell us about his background. Who was he? Well, you know, as I, just briefly touched on before, he was a natural-born healer, Miriam. He, it all started for him when he was around five years old. Um, his parents um, were not there, and he was taken to a hospital. And while he was in a hospital, during the hospital stay, in the night, this is when something occurred to him, how to heal himself. And from that day forward... This is how he healed people. Mm-hmm. And that starting at five years old. Now, his mother uh, practiced energy healing and used to take him with her when she would go to the Espiritas centers where other healers would gather and people would come for healing. And, and why I bring that up is because we have to remember that this man started his healing career at a very young age. He began to experience, see, and observe people's suffering. This became uh, a mission in his life to help people to understand that they are more than just their physical bodies. 
and um, and so uh, as Alberto grew, there was another passion that he loved too, and that was the limelight. He loved, he loved. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, he, he, he became an actor, didn't he? Yes, he did, and a very good one. He received um, high honors and awards in, uh, for his acting, uh, and um, was successful in that. But shortly thereafter, he had to leave his country. He was sort of exiled because at the time he was also involved with people who were uh, attempting to um, change the dictatorship or, or, or speaking out on the dictatorship that, at the time. Mm-hmm. So he came to the United States, and he was not here very long until he gave a lecture, and, and then he was booked weeks in advance for healing work. And so that started his healing here in the United States, which eventually and very quickly spread all over the world and a, a lot in Europe. He was back and forth a lot to Europe. And so this is what he did. This was, this was, this was his life. This is what he loved. Last of his life, he decided to go back to Brazil, and that's how he met these people. He said, I never dreamt I would be teaching people how to do something that came natural to himself. So do you have a sense of how his healing modality shifted as a result of his being with the Guarani? Because he already was an amazing healer. That's a brilliant question. I've never had that before. That's brilliant. Miriam, I would answer it this way. Alberto spoke often about how he evolved within his own healing to recognize what was really doing the healing. He used to discuss about when he put his hands on people that he would leave his body and he would be above the body watching. He also discussed how other people would observe him, people who had special abilities to see, and they would describe colors and beings and everything around him doing the healing. But he said ultimately colors, other spiritual beings, and whether he was suspended um, out of his body, the source of all healing was through love and what he encountered and what he lectured very strongly on all over the world coming in contact with all kinds of people powerful healers and modalities he said all these techniques are accessing love for healing so when he met these people it was like meeting kindred spirits they understood that it was the force of love that was doing the healing. And this method actually taps into that stream of consciousness or to that very fluid state of love for healing. So I hope that kind of answered that question. Uh, Yeah. um, I was tickled when I read your account of kind of doing this detective work to find out who Alberto Aguas was after he passed and putting together bits of his story. It took you to England and to my old teacher, Harry Oldfield. Oh, I, no. I studied with Harry myself. I oh, really? Wonderful. 
Um, tell us about what he said, what he did. You, you gave him some pictures of Alberto. Tell us what he said. Oh, this and is a why? Fun, this is a fun story. I, I wish I could bring up not only the accent, but you know Harry, you know his personality. And he's so bubbly, he's so alive, and he's so giving, and he's so fun. But I was on a track. First off, after Alberto died, I came into, I have all of his files. that, And he was meticulous, absolutely meticulous in his files, you know, this class here, this lecture there. One set of files had these, um, um, I'm forgetting the word, uh, a slide. Well, you do a slideshow. There were just these little slides, mm-hmm. pictures in, in a slide, so you can tell how old this is. And he, then, then supporting that, there was also some photographs, and they were separated out and labeled and put in these little packages, and I had some names around it. And I would look at him, and I knew these were important, but what they were, where they came from. And what I had discovered was that he had done um, a healing at Stansted Hall there, just outside of London. I actually went there also. Um, and in there, he had a gentleman, a friend of his that he stayed at his home, film him. And on that film, they actually recorded some um, energetic imaging that appeared while he was doing his healing. Mm-hmm. So here I am now, how many years later when this had taken place, and I'm trying to find someone, not only the originator of, 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 these, of these pictures, who actually took them, but what were they? And because Harry has studied and developed his own imaging format, and I came across him um, with another organization. Uh, while I was in London, I called him up, and he agreed to meet with me. So there we were sitting in under what he called Darwin, which was <laughs> in the museum, which he said, this is very appropriate. And when I pulled him out, Miriam, he exclaimed so loud, oh, my God, he said, I, would, I wouldn't let the queen have <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. And he proceeded to pull out uh, his very special instrument to take a picture of them to demonstrate to me, to show me the magnetism that was was still contained within these photos. Uh, he also did one around uh, Alberto. I had Alberto's picture with me. So it was very fun talking with, with him on that. Mm-hmm. It, uh, um, yeah, so it was a fun meeting with him. So these anecdotes really are pointing to the essence of the vibration that he was using. It's just different ways of understanding, viewing, imaging what you call the essence of love, which is the the core of the healing. Um, Let's get back to the Guarani. Um, Alberto spent time with the Guarani. He, he actually was spending like six months at a time with them. Um, what was he receiving from them? What was the, the, the soul connection there? Well, Miriam, as far as I understand and I know, um, um, I, he, he found these people, but I think, yes, he found these people 
They found him, however we want to say that. Now, um, I, I have to interject here that Alberto was very gifted beyond just healing. Um, he, t- he was very humble about himself, but his abilities were great in terms of, um, um, I don't want to use the word psychic, but... Oh, go ahead. All <laughs> friends here. Thank you. Anything that you kind of want to say, he was pretty good at, you know. Um, and so I don't have the full story of how that connection was made, um, but it was. And um, when he arrived, I think he was also looking for respite for himself. So there was twofold in there. Mm-hmm. And when he first met them, I remember him talking about how he brought all of his creature comforts with him, you know, and his own food and this, that, and the other. Eventually, I mean, they all kind of laughed and giggled and allowed him to be that way, but eventually he came and just joined and lived right with them. Um, and, 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 And I don't believe he lived... The, the six months that he was in Brazil, I don't think he lived all six months with them. I think he went back and forth. Mm-hmm. He would study with them. And more is that the page, which is the name for shaman there, allowed him to work alongside of him when he was doing healing. And so um, in that, um, Alberto got a firsthand um, connection with how these people were doing their healing. And from there, I, they worked together to how to put this together in a Western format, so to say. So I would imagine he did a lot of his own healing, his own work um, with these people in conjunction with these people is how to best present this for the globe, mm-hmm. you know, open this back up and, and out, and how do we do that? You know, these people, they don't have weekend workshops. They live this every day, and people absorb it. And, um, um, and Alberto used to say that this wasn't just regulated to the shaman, to the page. He said everyone worked with this, the children, the adults, everyone. Men, women, there was no distinction um, because they believe that everyone has the ability to tap into this and to use it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, Brad Keeney, who is another old pal of mine, um, oh, who also spent time with the Guarani and, and wrote a book about them. Yeah. Um, a beautiful book. Yeah. The, 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 there's something about... Uh, not only indigenous Brazilians, you know, in, in the rainforest, but Brazilians in general who are terribly, terribly spiritual um, and uh, connected uh, to to the natural world in a way that we have totally lost sight of here. Mm. Um, I agree. It, it's interesting that you say that... Um, Alberto went there to heal himself, too, because I have seen so often when people are well-known healers that there is such a need, a desperate cry for help 
that people just kind of converge on these healers and, and it's like they suck them dry. So I, I can certainly understand where he would have needed healing himself. He then became very, um, passionate about, uh, fighting for the rights of the Guarani to, uh, against the encroachment of agribusiness and, and, uh, mining. Um, and he was thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. tortured, in fact. Mm-hmm. 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 Exactly. So, and that was what undermined his health, was it? Yes, exactly. Um, Alberto was uh, in there approximately in the 80s when he was working with these people. And I, I, in the beginning of the classes that he would teach, when he would teach Amadeus, he always talked about the movie The Mission. He always mentioned the movie The Mission. This is with Robert De Niro and uh, Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. And um, the Indians in here that are portrayed in this movie are, are referring to, are being in reference to the Guarani. And I think he brought this up because I believe that that was being filmed at the same time because all of these people were trying to raise awareness to the situation that was still happening um, to these people. And yes, he was desperate to, um, he was doing everything, Miriam. He was bringing, trying to bring in psychologists. Um, I know he connected with somebody in Europe, um, uh, might've been an anthropologist because the children were hanging themselves. There was a number of things that were happening because, you know, they were starving. Um, things were still being done like clothing introduced that had disease in it. You, you know, very, in this modern day. Oh, yeah, it still is happening. The Brazilian government is much better on this, but we still have the middlemen that's supposed to be delivering the money and the things, and for some of the tribes, uh, that gets messed up a little bit. So, um, yes, he was, he became in, you know, Alberto was a man of truth, and when he could see through this, he was not afraid to follow his heart um, to try to protect these people, to bring awareness to them. And so, yes. He was jailed several times. Um, he talked about being electrocuted. I know that he had to do a lot of dental work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that he got sick in the jails. This really compromised his health. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't stop him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it just didn't stop him. He was on a path and um, very, he loved these people. Why are the Guarani called mystics? And um, there's a wonderful phrase, the theologians of South America. Mm, yes, I love that. I love that when I came across that. You know, um, Alberto would speak a little bit about the Guarani in the class. If he wanted to know more, he would give it in a lecture. He was very protective of them also. He didn't want, as he started to lecture and do the class, he didn't want people, that was a lot of people's immediate reaction. They wanted to get on a plane and go be with these people. Mm-hmm. And so he became very protective of where, how, and, and you know, where these people were at. And, um, uh-oh, help me, where were we going with this? Well, <laughs> they, they're, they're, they have this great mystical bent. Oh, oh, yes, yes. And so... For myself, after he died, and 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 um, you know, I, I had all of his lecture notes, so I accumulated that information. But when I wanted to write the book, Miriam, I wanted more. 
I wanted more information. So I took myself about eight months um, and had to have many pieces translated. A good friend of mine, her first language is German. She actually went to Berlin and pulled out um, some original documents by the Jesuits that were in German. See, all of our accounts come from the Jesuits, whether it's German, French, Portuguese, or Spanish. This is, and so it has to be translated in English. I was trying to find somebody I wanted to first hand translated, so I got the full, um, the full information. And I took a long time going through these documents and trying to pull out everything that supported Alberto was talking about. And this is when I came across uh, Helen Calastras's work. And there you see this natural progression of the Jesuits talking about savages. And then as history progressed and they were studying the Indians more and the ethno-historians are going in there, it's going, hmm, wait a minute. Out of the 150 tribes that are in Brazil, these people are pretty interesting. Let's study them a little bit more. And then there was a, a German-born man, Kurt Nimundaju, that was his Guarani name, actually was one of the first people who went and lived with him to record them um, in a way that we can comprehend their spiritualness. Mm-hmm. From that, from this gradual uh, realization on our part as um, in written history, um, it became very, very clear that these people are more comfortable in the spiritual realm than they are in the physical. And Alberto could relate to that because he himself also was that way. Uh, many times it was more it was more difficult for him to understand people around him in the physical because he was so much in these other dimensions, in the spiritual dimension. And and so as a consequence, these people were coined with the title theologians of South America. But it's not like spiritual sitting in meditation all day. I mean, they just lived joyously. They absolutely have that correctly. Absolutely. They lived, they lived to pray. They lived to commune. They were absorbed in what we would want to say the God world, not the physical world. And that, that um, communion, um, the, the, the direct connection to the God source, really, the, the, the lack of separation between them and spirit, um, that is what Alberto is trying to communicate in his teaching. So could you give us a, a sense of how you experienced it? How I experienced Amadeus, the Amadeus, the the, the sort of love, the direct connection. Well, when I first, the very first time I took the class, I don't think I knew what hit me. (laughs) That was for sure. But um, hmm, how do I put this in words? Something that's so intangible. To become well, I think this is actually a, a good illustration because you talk about the feeling of it. It's it's getting out of your head and into your heart. 
Mm-hmm. Let's start there with your heart. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, it, yes, this very much is um, a practice of moving and seeing the world from your heart or heart-centeredness. Um, and we all have this. We all know this. Most of the time, you know, we're following our logical, chattering mind. When we find that we can drop down and move from the heart or heart-centeredness, that the perception of the world changes and uh, things become softer, more beautiful, more accepting. And it also gives us a way to move in this world that I think everyone ultimately knows is truth. The heart is a terribly powerful instrument. Uh, I, I think if the Institute of Heart Math is talking about the electrical field of mm-hmm. the heart being, uh, I forget how many times, more powerful mm-hmm. than any other signal in the body. Mm-hmm. I want to say maybe 50 times magnetized or something mm-hmm. over the brain uh, uh, magnet. Yes, something. Yes, I can't quite pull that up either. But but, but the thing is that you um, have taken um, Alberto's notes. You've begun, uh, you began a foundation to teach his modality because it was so effective. Tell us how long it takes to learn and then tell us how you took it into the mainstream, into hospitals. Hmm. Well, the workshops uh, that Alberto developed, uh, all that I do is an absolute replication of what, what, what he developed, um, are in two, what he called two levels. There's the first level, which allows people, um, which has an initiation, and there are nine sacred symbols that you learn. And So a bit like Reiki. Yes, it's a channel energy, so you're initiated into it, you're plugged into this system. And then there are these symbols that have assigned intention to them for different life processes, like uh, when someone is dying, you have a very specific symbol. So you tap into this energy healing method, you invoke it, so to say, and then all you have to do is mastermind or envision or image in your third eye this sacred symbol and the symbol does the work because the intent is held there. It allows the practitioner to get out of the way and let the energy do the work. Now, this first level, in the whole system, there's over 20-some symbols, sacred symbols that you're working with. But he, he, he formulated the first one so that people could have um, um, to take this class. And if it's something that that you were drawn to or that you resonated with, then you could take the second level. Mm-hmm. Um, these symbols, when, the, the most beautiful thing that I find when I'm watching people take this class is that it expands people's awareness to view life from the perception of energy. We're all, we're all talking about this quantum or um, change and leap and uh, this energetic or this paradigm shift of being energy this is what a lot happens when you take the class because of how the sacred symbols are intended. You're, they're intended from a soul perspective. So you're constantly brought back into the awareness 
that you're working from a soul perspective, which all the indigenous people do. Mm -hmm. See life from the soul perspective first, not the physical perspective. Um, I thought it was interesting in uh, the book where you talk about the Guarani having soul songs, that Mm. the 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 shaman actually connects spiritually and brings back this song Mm. or soul message to his people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, Um, they actually, it's translated, and not just in one translation, but in many across all documents, word souls. In other words, these messages are messages that come from the spirit realm, and they are to be handled with reverence and sacred and love. They are to be cherished. They are to be carried on. They are our lifeblood. They are our oral tradition. Mm -hmm. Teach us how to be in this world. You know, you could go on and on and on. But when we also understand the gift of music, and how music moves us, that when we're praying, and if you do it with music, you're bringing and evoking a feeling. Where does that feeling come from that brings us back to the heart? Mm-hmm. And breathing is very important to this, too. Why, why is that so? Um, Alberto's first words would be, the breath is the link between the body and the soul. And so he talked often, not only for himself, for anyone that he knows that moves into a more of a trance or an altered state, as well as the Guarani, the first thing that they do is breathe. Mm -hmm. Because the breath is spirit. If ever you think you're disconnected, take a breath. Mm -hmm. So getting back to um, somebody interested in learning this, um, how long, is it like a weekend workshop? Is it a year? How long does it take? Well, it's a weekend workshop to, re- get to, retain, to, to receive information, mm-hmm. but it's years of practice <laughs> <laughs> to hone yourself, to, um, to embrace it, to heal yourself to bring yourself into higher resonance, um, to answer many questions that we're all seeking. Do you, do you have to kind of clear out your own stuff before you become an effective healer? Well, that's a great question, Miriam. Um, I myself personally believe so. I believe um, before you want to go out and help others, that the more that you help yourself first, the more clear of uh, a channel, so to say, or a conductor or a transformer for this energy that's passing through you to another person. Mm-hmm. And it also helps not to become deceived in what is actually happening during healing and, you know, letting more of spirit move through you rather than your ego. Mm-hmm. Um, egos can get uh, awakened strongly um, <laughs> if you haven't done your work. And, um, and, and it's not to say that, you know, you have to spend years and become totally enlightened before you do healing work. Once you've embarked on the healing path, one becomes aware of where your weaknesses are. 
So if someone comes to you for healing, let's say, and they've been abused, if your past as and you've had abusive issues yourself, you might want to refer this person to someone else until you know that you could handle the questions or um, you know where this person might move to because it's going to invoke your own your own healing. Mm-hmm. If if that if it makes sense, sure. Example. Yeah. Now you um, took. How did how did you move into massage? W- weren't you originally a um, uh, an anthropologist? <laughs> yes, yes, I was. Um, <laughs> I I loved to study people. I was an archaeologist. Um, and actually, actually did work about 10 years out on um, the reservations out in New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, and um, Arizona. And I loved it. But then I had children, and um, I had to sort of pull in my reins, so to say, of the work that I was doing. And um, my father being ill with cancer brought me home to help my mother, and I had my two babies with me. And somebody said, would you like to do massage? It was a good friend of mine. And I went, hmm, massage? Never even thought of that before. But, oh, this would be something I could do and where I could control my time and be with my children and my mother as much as they needed. And so I took up massage. Just And I started, yeah, I wasn't going to use this as a business, but <laughs> that's what I thought. My spirit had obviously other ideas, but um, I just was doing my mother's friends just to sort of, uh, bringing in income while I had my babies be- until they grew, they were old enough. So that, that's yeah. what. So so fast forward, you took not only your massage but also informed it with your spiritual healing work, and you ended up working in hospitals. Tell us about how that started. That's, that's exactly. It's just it, it, it kind of when. Um, uh, really what happened is a very wonderful philanthropist here in town um, uh, knew the work that I was doing and called me up and asked me if I would work in a particular hospital. And I went, hmm, <laughs> this was interesting. And so really with his backing, um, um, one of the local hospitals here was really looking at, and they already had a consortium of doctors and administrators that were looking at, hmm, how do we, what's this mind-body-spirit stuff that's going on? How do we might want to embrace it for the care of our patients? So they brought me on to start this program. And, of course, I started with massage. I wasn't going to start with energy healing because... Mm-hmm. Um, massage is non-threatening. Yeah. Right, and it's tangible. It's hands-on, and, and people can accept that, and people can see it, and they understand more when you're talking about the benefits because it's all real measurable for them. So we started with massage, but, you know, ultimately there it was like God had another planet ended up being the groundwork for me to do the research with Amadeus. Mm-hmm. And I never, ever dreamt. If somebody told me I'd be in energy healing doing energy healing research <laughs> or uh, research in a, in a clinical setting using energy healing, <laughs> I would be laughing. I well, mean, I think I think I, many people would be astonished because it's so unusual to have a hospital 
um, actually agree to do a controlled clinical trial on the effect of energy healing on their cancer patients. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was mind-boggling. Each step of the way in that hospital, there was a force that was unseen. Half the time, I'd be chuckling to myself going, all right, how's this happening? That's okay. I'll just follow <laughs> along, you know. <laughs> salute and march on. It, it, it really, it really, it really was. I, I, I kid you not, in the 10 years that I was there, I was never more astounded. And every time I would start losing my own, um, you know, it's a foreign environment you're, you're stepping into and it can be intrusive in, in many ways. And it's like, okay, this is really dragging on me. I, I, I need to move out. And then all of a sudden something would happen, you know, like this doctor coming and saying, you know, I would, I hear you doing energy healing. And I kind of look at this gentleman and I, I really would like you to work with my patient population. I went, this is really nuts. This physician actually had me in, uh, allowed me in during um, his surgeries to do energy healing. Mm. Very progressive man that had come to our hospital. Very beautiful. The whole the whole saga in the hospital was so spiritual, so learning for me, um, and so beautiful. I, I I could write a whole book on that journey. It was. So Do you imagine that other hospitals will have been looking at this work and have you tried to expand it more broadly? Um, you know, when we were there, we were. The, the research actually was scooped up very quickly without questions by an, um, by an oncology nursing journal. Gynecologic Oncology Nursing Journal. And it's they, always the women who are more progressive. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they posted it. And so, you know, that got our hopes up. But then um, our hospital, as many businesses, underwent through a financial restructuring. And um, we wanted to save our program. And because I was in administration, I stepped out. And what I chose to do at that point was, hmm, this is the time to write the book. But it's not without question that I'm free to go back and approach this physician and nurse um, because they're very open to creating something of how to work further with their patients. Now, when you talk about other hospitals, initially, when we first started this, I only knew of one other hospital in the United States, and that was a hospital in Boulder, Colorado, and I used to call her. She was a nurse, and um, she, she mentored me and helped me how to get this going. And since then... Many of these hospitals are bringing in mind, body, spirit. And I really don't care what they're bringing in as long as they're bringing this more spiritual, human uh, component into this environment. Um, we're helping to facilitate change. We're also helping to facilitate people's awareness to what this really is and how it can benefit them. So there is a nice bit that's happening in the United States with this. I think therapeutic touch has been uh, embraced by the nursing profession. Very so much so. This is kind of a development off that uh, in terms of how it's perceived in the hospital? Well, yes. You know, perception to a clinical base all has to do with research. This is their Bible. Mm -hmm. You can demonstrate that there is benefit then this is how they will accept a program in. 
-hmm. And so therapeutic touch was actually developed by a nurse understanding this, putting it and changing the words and everything so that it doesn't elicit judgment or fear. And, and, and she did it through, um, uh, I think, blood analysis mm -hmm. to demonstrate that there is change here. There is something that is of benefit. And so um, my actual research was, um, was feeling out um, the anxiety and depression that was going with cancer and how can we uh, uplift the quality of life for people. You know, you introduce that word and immediately... Um, people become anxious, and and how can we ha help them to have clarity and to be calm, so that you know it's very important the decisions they need to be making. So, when you're teaching this to the nurses, how mm -hmm. did you actually convey the idea of tuning into love? Because you say that love is at the basis of mm. it. Mm. You know, I think. Miriam, I think that's easy. When I think back on there, when we have these in-services with the nurse, you know, I would look at them and I said, who's in the hospital 24 hours a day, 365 days out of the year? It's nurses. And why are you here? You're here because you care about people. And that's from the heart. And I said, um, you know, we get bogged down with all of the have-tos that have to be done in a hospital. And if I could give them something where for five, ten minutes, they could interact with their patient in another way, in that way that drove them to be in this occupation. This was a no-brainer. They just picked up on this right away. And they were my biggest allies in the hospital. They got it. They could see it. And, they could actually see the results. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I do have to say that there was, there was a handful of physicians that did, too. Mm -hmm. you, know, um, um, that, you know, many of these people go into this because they care about human beings. And, and if they come from the point of their heart, they, too, are healers also, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you uh, launched this book out into the world, what was your hope for it? Mm, my hope, Miriam, is that people will recognize the power within them of love. The power that love is. And you know what? I really hope that Amadeus becomes a household word, you know, to love God. Mm-hmm. If we position ourselves more from the heart and understand the power of love, this force that's driving us to seek beauty and truth, the world will be a better place. If each individual will recognize that and begin um, perceiving and seeing the world more heart-based. Oh, that's so beautiful. Beth, how do people find out more about Amadeus? Do you have a website? We have a website and we have a Facebook. Um, the website. And the website is? Yes, is www.ama-deus-international.com. And Facebook is, is Amadeus uh, International LLC. And uh, what do they find on your website? Uh, do you have courses coming up? 
though the website yes we have to quickly <laughs> i have to quickly upgrade my schedule um um i've been to the to the winter spring schedule mm-hmm. we um there are instructors in the united states i travel all over the world to teach this is what i love to do and uh there are instructors in south america um on the website there is a brief uh, brief history um, about Amadeus, about the Guarani, about Alberto, a little bit about me. So it's just a um, it's just a taste of the information. There's um, a way to connect to us, um, uh, to ask more questions, mm-hmm. and like and like you say, there's uh, the schedule for classes that are on here. And then Facebook is also very interactive. What's fun is happening in, in Facebook. I had a my friend in Spain set it up for me, but um, where I'm leaving these groups that are so impassioned after they learn the Amadeus, they're they're creating little groups where they're interacting on Facebook, whether it's in Spain or in Finland or Cyprus or United States, Canada, South America, which is wonderful. Um, we need love to circle the world. How delightful. Well, Beth, it's been such a pleasure to read your book and to actually speak with you in person. I uh, hope that our listeners will be inspired to learn more about it. The name of your book is Amadeus, Healing with the Sacred Energy of the Universe, and we've been speaking with Elizabeth Cosmos, Ph.D. Beth, thank you very much, and goodbye. Miriam, thank you. If you enjoyed this interview, you'll find many more on our website, ncreview.com, along with summaries and reviews of thousands of new consciousness books and films. You'll also find a link there to our mobile app, as well as videos, events, author profiles, and blogs. That's at www.ncreview.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook.com slash NCReview. Well, next week our guest will be Bill Eddy, one of the co-authors of Splitting America, How Today's Politicians, Super PACs, and the New Media Mirror High Conflict Divorce. Interesting stuff. Now we're going to close with our track of the week selected by Scott Johnson from among members of the Positive Music Association. With styles ranging from pop and rock to folk and jazz, this growing group of musicians uses music not only to entertain, but to make a positive difference in people's lives and in the world. This week we're featuring a bagpipe-driven march called The Strength of Love by Marcy Baruch.
That was The Strength of Love. Marcy Baruch is a musical and spiritual artist who weaves together psyche, story, soul, and song. Her work dives into the inner sanctum of what is holy and saturated with the allness of love. Marcy comes to her audiences with a grace that is both fierce and courageous, and her music asks the question, what is it to perceive, know, and embody the divine, and what is it to live one's life as a unique expression of it? The Strength of Love, which we just heard, was a finalist in the group chant category for the 2008 Posey Awards. To find out more about Marcy's music, go to marcybaruch.com. That's M-A-R-C-Y-B-A-R-U-C-H dot com. To discover more great music or to join the PMA, go to positivemusicassociation.com. Well, that wraps up our show for today. I hope you'll join us next week and bring your friends. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.